Good morning, church. Thanks, Blake. How are we doing this morning? Happy July. Is that what we're doing, Zach? That's like the fifth time I've heard Jack, Zach say happy July today. So happy July, everybody. Um, yeah, so good morning. My name is Brett Ferris. I am one of the elders here at Risen Church North. And um, like Zach said, if it's your first time here with us this morning, I want to say welcome. We are genuinely glad that you are here. Um, if this is not your first time, but you've been coming for a little bit and we haven't had the opportunity to meet, I would absolutely love the chance to meet you. Um, normally, I would say, come grab me after church, but nobody ever does that. So I'm going to flip it and I'm going to come looking for you. So get ready. Um, when we get out there, I'm going to come find you if we haven't met yet. So, um, and then for everybody else, uh, not everybody else, everybody together, um, I think if if I were you sitting out there this morning, I'd be asking myself a couple of questions. Um, first, where's Sean? What's up with Sean? Right? Zach talked, to it, talked about it a little bit, but Zach preached last week. I'm up here this week, and uh, spoiler alert, we got a stacked lineup of preachers over the next few weeks um, that aren't Sean. And so I would be asking myself, like, whoa, what's up? Like, what's up with Sean? Nothing is up with Sean. Okay, like Zach said, spoiler, you took my thunder, Zach, but um, Sean and his family are on uh, vacation this week. Um, so we can, of course, be praying over their family. Um, much, much deserved, much earned time together away. Um, and I think uh, a lot of times pastors are, are often expected to just be there, like all the time, right? And so we all get to go on vacation and everybody expects the pastor just to stay here forever. Um, so praise God right, that Sean and Ashley get to on purpose, intentionally uh, take some quality time away. So y'all can be praying over them, uh, but don't worry about them, all right? They're living their best life this week, I promise. Um, and then I'm also gonna ask you to leave him alone. <laughs> Respectfully, right? But over the next couple of weeks, let's leave Sean alone, okay? So if, if you need anything, you can, of course, please reach out to me. Um, my email is zach at risennorth.org. Um, bring any of your uh, complaints to that email, and then if you have anything else. Um, no, in, in all seriousness, no, if there is um, any, any pastoral needs or, or really anything just in general life that you need, please, um, I'm here. Uh, David, raise your hand. David Neuenschwander, one of the other elders here, um, Andrew Poole. We are here. Um, it doesn't have to be Sean. We are here um, and we love you and we want to pray with you, um, be with you. So don't wait on Sean to get back, but don't mess with him. Okay. Um, second question I'd be asking myself is what's up with this big old honking thing right here? Um, so first time I preached, uh, it was at Bonnie's and um, I, I, I practiced at home. I had my, my notes and my Bible and everything and prepared and felt good coming up and we did sound check and all that. And then I came up to preach, right? It's like game time, go time. And the, the podium is right there. And I go to set my stuff down and like I put my notes on there and nothing else fits. And I'm like, uh, so I'm like fumbling and panicking all in one quick moment. And I said, never again. So I went and found this bad boy and I can spread everything out without falling over myself, hopefully. Um, Sean makes that look easy. That thing is tiny, just so you know. He makes it look easy because he does it all the time. Um, so anyway, 
feel like me and get distracted by little things, there you go. You don't have to wonder anymore. So um, as you can tell from the scripture reading this morning, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today, which is Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. So Merry Christmas when it's 150 degrees outside. Um, small side note, like I personally have loved um, the addition to our liturgy of the reading of scripture over the body to start our time in the word. It is such a sweet time to be able to, to step into that space in our time of worship. Um, we're gonna keep doing that and we're gonna even unpack some of the uh, intentionality behind why we do that in the coming weeks. But um, now, after having the word read over you, um, and certainly instead of listening to me talk just for the next 30 minutes, I encourage you to please take your Bibles out, whether it's uh, paper or digital, whatever it is, like, let's get them out. Let's get them out together and let's dive into the word. So as you do that, I'm watching, by the way, I can see if you're not moving. Um, as you do that, um, will you please take a second and pray for me? Um, and I'm going to pray over all of us real quick um, as we jump, jump into our time together. So, um, Father God, thank you, Lord, for your sovereignty in bringing us here this morning um, and for um, just giving us your word. Um, Lord, thank you, King Jesus, for um, the sacrifice that you made um, so that we can sit here this morning together as um, followers and believers in you and Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would move this morning in our hearts and in our minds and that um, your word and your word alone would, would stir in us uh, something new, something real that points us to deeper worship of you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, we're seven weeks in to our study of the gospel according to Luke. And yes, we are only through chapter one, but I'm not gonna make fun of that. I'm not gonna make a joke about that. Like, I love that, right? I love that we are going verse by verse through that because a lot has happened in this first chapter, right? Luke tells these stories of Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah, stories that are dripping with Old Testament echoes and resonance to show that Jesus is coming to fulfill the essence of the Old Testament. And the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah is a familiar one, an inability to have children, and then a response of doubt. Right? This, this is, we see this in, in the Old Testament in so many couples in the book of Genesis. We see Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel. It's not the first time we've seen this. Um, and Zechariah, he goes and serves in the temple and uh, has an angel appear to him that gives him this awesome news that he is going to now have a son. And Zechariah responds similar to the way that Sarah responded in the book of Genesis with doubt and boom, goes mute. And I think it's really cool the way that Luke writes chapter one. It's kind of like a musical Right? Um, when John is born, uh, Zechariah is, is all of a sudden gets his voice back and he sings this poem that Zach unpacked brilliantly for us last week. That's like this mashup of five different passages from Isaiah and three different Psalms. And Luke uses Zechariah's song to show that these events aren't just replays of moments in Israel's history. These are in fact events bringing that historical narrative to its culmination. And then the other character in this musical is Mary. She is this economically poor, no-name teenage girl who gets pregnant 
with the messianic king, uh, and then sings this incredible song of praise that has all these similarities to Hannah's song uh, after she gives birth to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 2, uh, which we don't have time to go read and go read that later. Um, but in uh, Luke chapter 1, we see Mary's song, and Mary says this. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This is a very personal event for Mary. And get this, because this is, this is a huge theme captured in these two short lines, okay? It says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, Mary says. Now, humble, humble in, this, in this sentence can be translated low. It can be translated in a state of humiliation. Mary's economically poor. She's living under the oppressive rule of the Romans. And she says, behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is a microcosm of Jesus's fulfillment of God's promise that he made long ago. But it didn't happen the way that everybody thought it was going to happen. Luke's trying to help us see in these stories, this, the climax of this holistic biblical narrative that kind of easily, simply broken down goes like this. There was creation, there was fall, there was redemption, and then there's restoration. And, and the redemption and the restoration, Luke is saying, is absolutely coming through the saving work of Christ, but Jesus is not going to do that by annihilating the Roman oppression or by raising up these super elite religious people to power, he ends up creating this new space for Jew and Gentile, for the rich and the poor, the outcast and the marginalized to be welcomed into God's mercy. And he does it on the backs of those outcasts and marginalized people. So this is a major theme that Luke sets up in the introductory portion of his gospel, and one that continues in this story, the birth of Christ. And I think that's been one of my favorite things about studying uh, the Christmas story in July um, and preparing to teach this, is that we tend to only look at and think about the birth of Christ during Christmas when there are um, a plethora of distractions, of gifts and decorations and all the things that aren't all bad, right? Um, but things that distract us and that cause us to fight to not lose what uh, we would call the true meaning of Christmas, which uh, is really just what we mean is like actually talking about Jesus during Christmas time. Right? Or uh, Christmas in December in the church, in our church uh, too, we, we can focus, we focus traditionally on Advent, the, the anticipation of, of our coming Savior, which is a great thing. But studying Christmas in July has led me to this theme that's not just quite as popular in December. It's that Jesus is coming, but in a way that blows people's minds because it's the polar opposite of what they expected. That's the main point that I believe Luke's making throughout his entire account, um, including what we know as the Christmas story. So let's dive in to Luke chapter two. The first four verses of chapter two are about the registration, the census. And these, these establish time and place. Luke is awesome. Like he is this masterful linguistic writer. He's a historian. Um, and just, just reading the way that Luke writes these first few verses, it points to Old Testament prophecy that you don't really have to know about, but it makes it so much richer and cooler if you do. 
Um, it's kind of like watching the third movie in a trilogy without seeing the first two, right? Like you can, you can, you can track along and you can, you can follow the basic plot line, but you miss out on all the, the nuanced things that are happening and you only catch um, what makes sense right in front of you instead of those, those things that only make sense if you've seen the first two movies. So you could, you could watch this and be like, cool, like this is going down in Bethlehem and Joseph's great, 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 and then some great granddaddy was David. That's cool. Um, but if you'd seen the first movie, right, and heard prophets foretell this coming king and, and seen the second movie uh, and get to see why these people want so badly for Messiah to come, and then now in this third movie, the time comes and you remember all those things that were said in the first and the second portions, and you see them come to pass. See what I mean? It's still great to see it happen, but it's so much richer and deeper when you consider all that has taken place from Genesis to now. That's what's so incredible about viewing the Bible as one holistic story rather than just kind of shrugging off the Old Testament and jumping into the new, but that's kind of just a bonus, bonus thought. So um, let's read verses one through five together. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Joseph makes this trip Right? And it's possible that Mary actually would not have been required to go with Joseph according to the decree. But the assumption is that because she was so far along in her pregnancy, they wouldn't want to, have, they wouldn't want to risk being apart when the baby's born. So Mary goes with Joseph. Um, pop quiz, does anybody know how far it is from Nazareth to Bethlehem? You're not, you can't answer. This is interactive here, come on. Nobody, 90 miles. Okay, it's about 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That would be like leaving here and walking to Bucky's in Madisonville. That would be like leaving here and walking to Beaumont. All right, for all you West Coast folk, that would be like walking, walking from Anaheim to San Diego. So imagine being 30, like 30 something weeks pregnant and walking that far. Or maybe not, maybe you're riding on a donkey, which sounds a little less tiring, but really not all that much more comfortable to me. Um, and you're not just walking up I-45 either, right? The terrain that they're traveling was unpaved. It was hilly, but it gets worse. So I read that one of the most terrifying dangers in ancient Palestine where they are was this valley of the Jordan River because it was heavily forested. So now we're talking things like bears, wild boars, things that you 100% don't want to come across on a hike. And then if that's not bad enough, it was common that thieves and robbers would be patrolling these main trade routes that, that these folks are traveling. And so uh, there's a lot going on here on this, this walk. Now, I certainly can't tell you what it's like to be pregnant, but based on how many kids we have back there every Sunday, I can promise you there's a lot of people in here that know what that's like, okay? 
And I sure can tell you what it's like to support a very pregnant wife. And I'd be willing to bet under those circumstances that that was a long journey for everybody involved. All right? And, and the Holy Spirit has, has divinely put it on my heart this morning to give my man Joseph a little shout out here, okay? Yes, Mary crushed it. All right? Hear me, hear me, hear me. Mary crushed it making this trip pregnant. But teenage-ish boys are not necessarily known for being the most patient in the world. And who knows, like maybe Luke chooses to omit some of the discussions that Mary and Joseph had along the way. Um, but Joseph got it done, y'all. Like he got them there without killing each other and without getting killed. So good on you, Joseph. How's that for premarital counseling? Right. So anyway, the point is that uh, the point here is to get you out of that Merry Christmas nativity scene, sweet manger mentality, and a little bit closer to the reality of the situation that's going on. Are we getting there mentally this morning? All right, cool. Um, let's pick back up in verse six. It says, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And I think this part right here uh, actually gets captured pretty well in like our December Christmas time. We're all pretty familiar with the nativity scenes, probably too familiar. We start fighting over whose is more historically accurate than the others. But um, again, remember the theme that we're talking about this morning, that the coming king brings the new kingdom and that kingdom is built on and exalts the humble and the poor. And so this morning at least, Think about the conditions in which Mary and Joseph are staying and think about it in that regard because I think that that is a big part of why God wrote this story this way and why Luke tells it the way that he does. Now I can actually uh, relate to Mary and Joseph here a little bit. When, when my wife Ashley was four or five months pregnant with our third child, my job um, very quickly and abruptly moved us to San Angelo, Texas. Um, we were supposed to be in Dallas-Fort Worth uh, which is, it's familiar, it's close to family. Um, it was, it, everything was going the way it was supposed to go. Uh, and then I get a call and they said, we need you in San Angelo, Texas today. Uh, and so I told Ashley and she said, where is that? Uh, exactly, right? San Angelo is in West Texas, basically in the middle of nowhere. And we know nobody, not a soul. So uh, a key part of this story, uh, it has nothing to do with Mary and Joseph, but you need it to track. Um, this was our third child, right? We already had two boys. And with both of them, we found out the sex of the baby like as early as I possibly could. Um, we're old, it was before all the fancy stuff, but we wanted to know as soon as we could. Um, and so uh, with this third one, I was the same. I wanted to know the sex as soon as I could, but um, I let somebody convince me to wait and do the surprise thing. Um, and there were a couple of reasons that, that got me. One is that it was just a win-win situation, right? I already had two boys. Um, if we have a third boy, that's awesome. That's gonna be a lot of fun. Um, if we have a girl for the third one and we get to round it off with a daughter, that's awesome. That's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, spoiler alert, it was a lot of fun. Um, but uh, what really sold me was this. It was, my buddy told me, he said, this is your chance as a dad to have your moment uh, in the spotlight. Um, because when the baby's born, you get to step out into that delivery room 
in front of all your family and friends who are anxiously anticipating what it's gonna be and you get to make the announcement, right? You get to tell the world, it's a boy or it's a girl. And I was like, yes, I want that moment. Um, and so I was convinced. So we did the surprise thing. Um, and so fast forward, um, the baby is born. Ashley goes into labor so quick. Um, and that happened this time again. So uh, we went uh, with haste. Remember that, we'll come back to that later, uh, to, to Shannon Hospital in San Angelo, Texas. Uh, and labor went fast and the baby comes and, and surprise, it's a girl. All right, so now it's my time. I'm ready for my moment. Been waiting and waiting and waiting. And so I walk out into the hallway to make my announcement. All our family and friends that are there waiting. And I walk out in the hallway and there is not a soul in sight. Not even a doctor or a nurse because we are in the middle of nowhere, San Angelo, Texas. No family, no friends. We are alone. So I didn't make my announcement. I turned around and I walked back into the room and I hugged my wife and my baby and did all the stuff that you're supposed to do. But we were in a foreign town. We were in a foreign land, far away from anything familiar and comfortable. And we read, or at least I read, in verses six and seven, during Christmas time, this, this you know, in my, in my Santa Claus pajamas on our cute little advent calendar that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. When in reality, Mary gave birth with no epidural, which I've also been a part of, and I can promise she was intense, in a town far away from anything and anyone familiar, in a barn, because it took him so long to get there because she was walking pregnant. Oh, and by the way, her baby also happens to be Yeshua, the Messiah, that her Jewish people have been longing for for centuries. A no-name nobody, teenage girl, pregnant out of wedlock, has her baby in a barn. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords enters the world in a barn. It's backwards. Right? It's flipped. It's, it is the opposite of how a king is supposed to enter the story. Um, we, we, we actually get to see some of this in reality right here in 2023. Um, earlier this year, uh, King Charles III took the crown of England. He stepped in. And this is what they did for old King Charles. That's what Chuck got right there. That's millions of people. Fireworks. That's what culture expects when a king enters. Our king, the king of kings, came in a barn, quietly, unfamiliar. See, right? Picks up in verse eight. Reading about the shepherds. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And so we've got a group here of sheep herders spending the night outside in a pasture with their sheep. I've said it before, Luke is such a phenomenal writer to be able to paint this picture of what's happening in such a way that we, 2,000 years later, see the significance of the characters that God uses in this story of history that he's writing. Why shepherds? Why, Why does the glory of the Lord shine around them and a multitude of heavenly hosts sing over them? Uh, there's actually, there's no other account in any of the, of the other gospels of anyone being told about Jesus being born. And so uh, it, one might assume that they are the first to know uh, that, that this is happening. Why, why, are, why are these shepherds the first people maybe in the world to know that Jesus is born? I believe it's because they were just that, shepherds. See, in this culture, shepherds were dirty. They were like in, in, the, in the list of where you are status-wise, there is people with leprosy. And then just above that, you find shepherds. They were dirty. They were physically unclean. And then because of their, their physical uncleanliness, they were spiritually unclean too. They weren't allowed to go in town uh, and participate in temple worship. And so they could not uh, participate in sacrifice and be cleansed. They were nobodies. They were nothing until this day. For born this day, verse 11, unto who? You, you cast out. Unto you is born Christ the Lord. And this good news of great joy will be for who? All the people. Not just the righteous, not just the clean, not even just the Jews. All the people. Here's our main theme again. And here's my point. Jesus is only a few hours old and the expectation, the expectation of the coming king is getting flipped on its head. Then in verse 15, after the sky goes back to normal and the multitude of, of angels go back into heaven, the shepherds have this little meeting amongst themselves. And I don't, I don't really know what heaven's opening and closing, uh, how that works. Scripture doesn't really say, but I would imagine that it takes a minute to collect yourself after something like that, right? So the shepherds huddle together and then they agree that it's probably a good idea to go to Bethlehem to see what this thing is all about. And the scriptures don't specify how many shepherds there were, uh, but remember, they're not exactly accepted and welcomed in town. So uh, it, it's, I think it's easy for us to just think, okay, they just went to town, but, but the, it's, it's not that simple. It's a bigger deal than we might realize for them to go into town looking for the signs that they were given. <laughs> and with the details Luke gives us, it looks like that's all they had to go on. They didn't get like an address that they typed into Google Maps to go find this place, right? Like, and I, I, maybe there was only one barn in Bethlehem. I don't know. Maybe they roamed all over town. I don't know. But I love that Luke says this in verse 16. He says that they went with haste. Now, they had a little hitch in their giddy up here. I don't know what it was. Probably nervous energy. I don't know. Um, but, but they go with haste. In verse 17, it says, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, that this child is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then verse 18, All who heard it wondered 
at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Um, and again here, I, I feel like I have a small idea of how Mary might feel in this moment. It says, the verse says that all who heard it wondered. The scripture doesn't specify who all is there, but this word wonder means that they, they marveled at it. It's the same word that was used to describe the disciples' reaction when Jesus calmed the storm in Matthew chapter 8. But Mary's response was different. Ashley and I had a different kind of moment in that hospital room in the middle of nowhere, San Angelo, Texas. We were alone with our child. It was different because it was just us. Different because of the circumstances surrounding her pregnancy. Different in a really sweet way. And Mary, I think, is probably exhausted from delivery She's not phased in the same way that others would be by a story of angels appearing out of heaven. She's been there and she's done that. She treasures what she already knows to be true about her son. And she thinks on him to herself. Mary has a moment. And I love that Luke gives us just a little piece into that intimacy and in that story. And then finally in verse 20, scripture says, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The shepherds return. Like so many other stories that we're gonna read in the coming weeks and in the coming months in the gospel according to Luke, where marginalized people encountered Jesus Christ and returned to their places in society forever changed. Can a brother get an amen on that? Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. So, how does that apply to us today? We're wrapping up. I'm going to bring the band back up. And I'm bringing them up right now because I'm stalling. Uh, because I prayed and prayed. Uh, and it's up to this point, And I still don't know. Okay, I, I don't fully know what the application is. Um, but I know that, that the Holy Spirit... Uh, is able to stir in each one of us differently through the scriptures. And so um, how do we apply this and this theme in our current cultural context? Culturally speaking, uh, in general, we are not the dregs of society here in Creekside, Texas. Uh, but I know a lot of believers around here, and myself included, who are super busy trying to maintain some level of status in some cultural scale. And this morning, my prayer is not that you would feel guilty about that. Convicted, maybe, but not guilty. My prayer is that you would feel free after hearing this story. I have a friend uh, who's a pastor and a preacher here in town, and, and he shared some wisdom with me. He said that when you preach, your people should leave knowing exactly what it is that you want them to do. So here's what I want you to do, church. Be free. Be free knowing that in this kingdom that we live in, under this King Jesus that we serve, that you don't have to achieve some level of status, whether it's cultural or spiritual. You don't have to be this superman or this superwoman Christian. Like that's, that's not who Jesus exalted. That's not who Jesus is exalting. So be free of that. Be, be encouraged by that. Some people in our lives, some people in this room, 
actually do carry some of those labels. And it's, it's heavy and it's hard to say, but I'm gonna say them out loud anyway. Widow, divorce, addict. If you are someone you, if you or someone you know bears one of those labels and all the burdens that come with it, I pray that this scripture this morning is an encouragement to you. I pray, I pray that you return like the shepherds did, whatever that looks like, that you return forever changed by God, glorifying and praising him for all that you've seen and heard. Like I pray that you see that guilt and shame is alive from the pit of hell. That you would hear and believe truth this morning, that God builds his kingdom on stories just like yours and on people just like you. Risen Church, if you get nothing else from this today, I pray that we get this, that we, that we may be a body of believers who look like Jesus, who with unspeakable joy point broken people to the saving love of Christ and who label those people forgiven just as Jesus does and nothing else. Amen? Let's pray. King Jesus, in God's sovereignty, you came not the way people expected. You came humble, you used the humble. God, I pray that we would be humble. I pray that in the midst of, of our circumstances, God, we would remember that you came for us, that you saved us and that you love us unconditionally. So God, I pray that we would leave here this morning forever changed. Not by something man says, forever changed by the word of God written on our hearts. And I pray Lord this morning that we, as we continue to worship, uh, that you would stir in our hearts more and more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.